The following is a presentation of WAER Sports, the original home of the Orangemen. Welcome to Talkback. I'm Cooper Boardman. This week, we'll talk with three different people who have covered this pandemic and its effect on the state of the sports world in three different ways. That'll include a couple of conversations with two local sports directors. That's Jamie Say of News 6 in Orlando. Eagles at their own 35-yard line. Works breaks the huddle, operating from the pistol. Two receivers split out to either side. Wesley Kennedy is the lone setback. Words takes the snap, wants to throw, steps up in the pocket. Now he rolls out to his right, fires complete, but short of the first down. Say lives and works in the middle of where sports say they'll come back. The other sports director you'll hear from is News 12's Kevin Marr. Hi everyone, I'm News 12 sports director Kevin Marr with a message for all the high school seniors whose spring seasons have been canceled. Just a little something to let you all know we're thinking of you. You're going to hear a little bit more about that particular piece later on, along with how Mars covering the pandemic in a place that's familiar to him. And Jason Horowitz. Ball in his hands. Go three point shoot as well. Horowitz, who works for Westwood One and CBS Sports, will detail his Olympic experience and talk about what's next for all of us. First, though, reminder, subscribe to TalkBack on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at WAER Sports, and on SoundCloud, just search WAER. Tom Brady and Julian Edelman, you and the New England Patriots have just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? We're going to Players usually talk about going to Disney World after they win some Super Bowls, but this time we're talking about the NBA and MLS with plans for return in Orlando. For Jamie Say, the sports director at News 6 in Orlando and a 1998 SU alum, that means she's going to have a chance to be around the action. There's so many great things that Orlando has going for it, and, you know, at the top of the list is... uh, a company like Disney World. You know, I mean, there's no other place on the planet quite like Disney World. Disneyland is great. Uh, You know, Disney Paris, Disney uh, China, great. But Disney World is where it's at because they have this gigantic athletic complex. And day after day, they just welcome in hundreds and hundreds of youth athletes um, to this complex. Well, it's been shut down. And it just seemed like with ESPN's partnership um with the nba you know because disney owns espn it just seemed like it made a lot of sense um so there's a lot of excitement there's been information coming but then there's information we're still waiting on you know we don't know the exact date when it's going to start we've heard july 31st we've heard july 30th we've heard um you know the very last day possible would be October 12th of game seven of the NBA finals. Um, the NBA has not released its, its, you know, plan yet, except, Hey, we're coming and 22 teams are coming and they're all going to stay on Disney property. Um, so it's exciting, but until they lay out the plan and, um, all the players are on board because, you know, there's been some pushback from players. Some of them don't want to come. Uh, don't want to stay in this, what the NBA is calling a bubble, where 
they're just on Disney property and they can't go out. And then their families can't come until like second round of the playoffs. So, um, and then, you know, there's coronavirus fears among the players. Plus, um, you know, the racial issues that are being uh, discussed and that are at the forefront right now. So we're still just kind of sitting tight, but it is exciting. Orlando's a great place. We've got Major League Soccer. They're definitely restarting here. Um, they've laid out their plan. They've um, given the media their plans for coverage and, and everything like that. So that's exciting, too, knowing that, um, you know, both leagues could be potentially playing here, you know, and all eyes will be on it. Orlando and Central Florida is a great place. It's a great place for sports. It's kind of, but it's, it's almost like a hidden secret because it's not like a New York. It's not like a Boston or a Los Angeles or Chicago. But, you know, Orlando's got a lot going for it. So hopefully this will showcase, you know, us a little bit too. That secret is out. We know MLS will come back in Orlando on July 8th. We know the NBA will be back there at some point, even if Jamie Say doesn't know when she'll be there, if she'll be there at every single moment. The good news is that Say has found ways to be on. She even covered an Olympian in a now Olympic list year in Florida. It's hot all the time, but it turns out a member of the U.S. national bobsled team lives here. So he went to high school here. He was a lacrosse player. And then he just happened to try out for the team. In 2017, former lacrosse player Josh Williamson took a chance at a sport pretty foreign to his home state of Florida. My parents joke about it all the time. I remember telling them the first time that I decided I wanted to try out for bobsled. And they just kind of jokingly like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like they didn't really know what it was. I didn't know what it was. I just saw an advertisement and thought, hey, I fit maybe the build they're looking for. Turned out Josh was the perfect fit, the perfect type of athlete for bobsledding. Like his athleticism suited him for bobsled and they accepted him on the team. So he had been living up in Lake Placid training with the U.S. bobsled team. They're getting ready for 2022. He knows the shutdown is coming. So he comes back home to Central Florida and he's just been training here. He set up a a gym in his parents garage and he's been there are no hills here really but he's been running on this driveway just to get ready so that was one of them it's just like it's pretty ironic that there's a bobsledder here in florida and he's training for the olympics here it's an interesting look at how a sports reporter reports on sports without any sports going on and outside of an olympic bobsledder jamie says early focus was on the public health crisis she did more news-based stories one of the great things about uh, sports reporters is that we're really versatile you know, like we are, we love sports. That's what we want to talk about, but we're not dumb. But we can, we can do different things. We still know how to tell good stories, whether they're news or sports. So we were telling some human interest community service stories for, for a couple of weeks. Um, and then at the beginning of April, um, you know, there was some brainstorming involved and we came up with this idea. Well, you know, one of the main, one of the big stories about the coronavirus was the schools shutting down, the high schools, the elementary schools, and there are all these springtime senior athletes that weren't getting their senior nights, that weren't able to go for championships. Um, and if you play sports, you know, like your senior year, your senior season is usually the one you shoot for. Like that's going to be the best one. And all of a sudden, these kids can't play anymore. So what we did was um, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of April and May, 
we would feature a high school senior athlete. And what I had done, I reached out to athletic directors um, from about, I don't know, like a hundred high schools in our, in our viewing area. It's like five counties and said, Hey, you know, if you, you know, any senior athletes that exemplify what it means to rep, you know, to, to be a student athlete, to represent your school, let us know. And the response was amazing. So we ended up featuring about 30 kids in April and May. I just collect still pictures from them, you know, whatever pictures they had on their camera phone or them playing sports, they passed them on to me. I got a little bio and then I would interview them over Skype or Zoom. And those, those would be some stories and some content. Riley's tough on opponents. She can be tough on herself too. Her most impressive achievement, I think though, is just getting through the last two years. In May of 2018, Riley lost her mom to cancer. When I talked to her over Skype, she was honest. Days can be good and not good. She didn't tell me tennis helped get her through. Well, you can ask any of my teammates. If I won, unless you know me very well, you cannot tell I won. Usually it's the same look if I win or lose. So I think my mom- It really actually well. got a lot of positive feedback um, from our viewers who have, some don't have kids, that they, you know, they, they might live 45 minutes away from where this young uh, man, or, man or woman went to school and they were really interested in it because all the kids have interesting stories and, and they were great. So that's something how we were able to tie the community together too. you know, hey, these are the kids that are impacted by this shutdown. You might not have kids, but these are some of the kids and this is how they conducted themselves while they were on the field. This is how they're conducting themselves now. And none of them ever said, we feel sorry for themselves. They were disappointed, yes, but it was never like, woe is me. You know, they all represented their schools and their interviews really well. So that's kind of what we did. And then that brought us to the end of May. And now here we are in June, you know, getting ready for sports to kick back in. And that approach you just heard seems to be constant across all local sports. Hundreds of miles north of Orlando on Long Island, there's another Syracuse grad doing something similar right now. Kevin Marr, a 1997 SU alum, has found the call to serve those athletes who ended up losing the end of their senior year. Unlike the games they play, the seniors can't call a timeout and wait for this to pass. For in life, even in the teenage years, there are no do-overs. And so while they may not have a senior season, they will always be Braves, Phantoms, Vikings, and Eagles, and they will always wonder what could have been. Kevin Marr, News 12, Long Island. Just the other day, we went to Brentwood High School. Brentwood is one of the biggest schools in New York. It's super diverse. Uh, it's a little bit of a rough area, and we went and the soccer team got their rings, their state championship rings, and it was the first time these kids had all seen each other in three months, and the coach is on the verge of tears because he said, I want to hug all of you and I can't. And it's, he's, you know, has to compose himself. And it was, it was beautiful. Um, and to see these kids get these rings. And as the coach said, this is going to be the greatest gift these kids have ever gotten in their lives. And to see that joy on the backdrop of such sadness was really awesome because it made the moment even that much greater. Um, and for the seniors who lost seasons, we've done a, a series called Senior Stories, and we just asked the kids, what's it like, you know, to know that that game you played maybe on March 13th was the last one you'll ever play. And so many of them said, you know, 
I didn't realize my junior year when we took the field for the seniors, let's win one for the seniors, we got to send the seniors out, that that was also my senior game. That would be the last time I would play on the lacrosse field, a baseball field, the tennis court. That was really interesting. That was impactful. And I think a lot of the kids have really taught us that what they've learned at 17 and 18 years old is don't take anything for granted because you don't know when it's going to be the last time you'll have that chance to do something. And I think the players that will come back, knock on wood, will realize that as well and put a little, maybe a little bit more of emphasis on their high school sports going forward. Um, so, you, you know, you, you can learn a lot from 17 and 18 year olds if you listen to them. And Kevin Marr is listening to athletes in the place where he grew up. Marr went to high school in Bayport, which is on Long Island. He worked in Binghamton and Syracuse before he came home to News 12 Long Island. It's a fortunate thing to be from there. Uh, if you think of the a legacy of great sportscasters that have come through there, Al Michaels and, and Bob Costas, uh, Bob Wolf, who I got to know at, uh, at News 12, um, there's just so many of them, Linda Cohn, Steve Levy, uh, Brian Kenny. So, um, you know, the more I did research uh, about the field, the more I realized how many there were. Um, but it's also a, a great market, and it's also good to cover teams that you grow up rooting for. Um, I'm a Jets, Knicks, Mets fan. Like Islanders and Rangers, I kind of go both ways uh, on both of them. Uh, so it makes it easy to cover. Uh, so uh, I would say it, it was a goal, especially because you grow up watch, watching, I mean, so many great people. Uh, you know, when I was growing up on Long Island, you, you tune into the nightly news and it was Len Berman and Sal Marciano, Marv Albert, Bruce Beck and all those guys. Um, so you look at those and you had great role models, even though you didn't know them at the time, you had great role models to see what it took to succeed in the business and how to act in the business and how they covered and how to perform in the business. Um, so I consider myself very fortunate uh, to be where I'm from. Now. The other part of this is Mar is now covering a pandemic and sports and so much more in the place where he grew up. As of June 15, Long Island had seen more than 80,000 coronavirus cases. So continuing to put out content for News 12 amidst all of that meant a lot of questions needed answers. The biggest challenge was we have a building that probably holds 50 to 60 people per day. Uh, and they, and I give credit to the management trying to figure this out is that they got as many of us out of that building as possible. There's people working from home on a daily basis. We have satellite offices now across Long Island where there's about, you know, six people here, eight people there, seven people there. My challenge was to get the staff out of the building. We basically had to build a makeshift studio in a company building down the road that was abandoned. So how do you do that with one camera, you don't have any lights, there's no backdrop. We had basically had to build the set from bookcases and little things we had in our house and we had our graphics people make some stuff and throw a light up here or light up there, but we made it work. So that was the biggest challenge. And then it was also scheduling everybody to keep everybody safe. You know, on Long Island, this COVID-19 bit blew up fast and it was scary. I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, you know, just talking to my staff and myself, you know, a lot of us didn't wanna go out in the field because you didn't know who you were talking to and, you know, did they have this virus and there's little pockets of it here and there. So it was between trying to do our jobs, how do we do our jobs and keep everybody safe um, because there's a, a great caring atmosphere where I work. That was the number one thing. Then it was, well, what are we going to show? How do we do this? And, and I think we all had that thought and even said it to us like, what, what are we even going to do? I'll be honest with you though. 
it's actually been not easier than I thought it would be, but in order of, in terms of coming up with the stories, it's been way easier than I thought it would be because everybody has a story. Everybody going through this, high school coaches, local kids, parents, athletic administrators, the pros that we cover, the teams that we cover, everybody has a story because this is changing everybody's life. We're almost to the point now where we're doing a lot of stories ahead of time and we have so much content. It's like, well, when are we putting that on? We're trying to figure out the days. I'm like, no, we'll have to bump this one back because this one's got a little bit more timeliness to it. Um, so it's a little bit like being an air traffic controller, but it was actually, it turned out to be easier than I thought it would be because there's so many good stories out there. And essentially what we do, the heart of what we do is tell people stories. That's, that's the most important thing in, in, the, in the TV business is tell people stories. Telling those stories is what every person on this podcast and every person we've had on this podcast aims to do. For Kevin Marr, there are special roots and stories all the way back in Syracuse as well, and not just during his time as a student. In 2003, Marr was the sports director at WSTM Channel 5, the CBS affiliate in Syracuse. My now wife will tell you she didn't see me for three weeks. We did, I, I was at work constantly because it was work go to the go to you know albany come back get ready we did half hour shows we did half hour post game shows we did live we did more coverage of that tournament than anybody in town and i was the head of it so i had to kind of plan everything so the night of the championship game we're in new orleans and we had to make sure you know we had to be in our broadcast location so i didn't even see the end of the game to be honest with you we were in like this mini truck and we set up our location because as soon as the coverage was over, they were coming. We were going live. So I'm like, oh, my God, we won. I remember jumping into the cameraman's arms. It was great. So I go, let's sit down, sit down. So I just remember the camera guy, Joe Pachado, who's one of the most meaningful guys in my career. You know, we sit down. We're ready to go. And he's like, all right, let's go. And I could hear in my ear, all right, Kev, stand by 30 seconds. I remember Joe saying, all right, here we go, 10, 9, 8, 7, he then peered around the camera, looked me in the eyes, and he goes, don't forget, everyone right now is watching you. Three, two, one, go. And we nailed it. I, we totally nailed it. But I just, I was like, why would you do this? Why would you do this to me right now? Um, but he was true because I think the market, the ratings afterwards, it was like 89% of the televisions in Syracuse were tuned into Channel 5 at that moment. But that's my favorite moment of somebody like, you know, just saying something to me at the completely most inappropriate time, but also saying the most appropriate thing. Um, so it's a good lesson to remember, like, everyone's watching. Everyone watch that. For Jason Horowitz of Westwood One, he had people watching before he even left campus. His junior year, Horowitz was on ESPN's reality show called Dream Job, and he made it all the way to the Final Four before he got eliminated. I can look back on that with 100% certainty and, and tell you that that is the catalyst of how I got my career started. Um, because even though I didn't win, it was part of my experience. It was part of my resume reel. It was part of my reel that I sent to the Hearst Foundation Awards, which, which got accepted as I was a, one of the top five finalists and got to go out to San Francisco. Um, to compete in the Hearst Foundation Awards. Uh, it was there that I met the guy who, got, who helped me get my first job at CBS Sports. Um, and it wasn't just a job at CBS Sports. It was to be the face of CBS Sports line 
as they as as the network was going to be the first network to do video exclusively for the internet. Um, so I have no doubt that that dream job was a massive catalyst um, for for getting me a start where I started my career on air uh, in New York City. And you know, luckily, you know, knock on this wood table that I'm sitting at here, 15 years later. Um, I have been on a national level in some capacity ever since, and I realized that that, especially 15 years ago, uh, was not the norm. And and to be honest, I even till the till the end, like I was debating whether or not I at that I should take the a job um, in a smaller market or do video for the internet. And like 2005, who's watching video on the internet? Why do I want to do internet video? What are we talking about? I'm so glad I did a video for the internet. <laughs> uh, and I'm very lucky that I, that I made that decision. Um, and I'm very, I'm very happy and lucky that I'm still part of the CBS family now 15 years later. 15 years later, Horowitz does play-by-play on CBS Sports Network 2. Pressure up the middle. Good throw. And Levias carrying defenders. Gets a block. Levias racing towards the end zone. That on top of studio hosting at Westwood One, which means big events like March Madness and even the Olympics, which, of course, both of those were canceled this year. We asked him, how did those two events, Olympics and March Madness, how do they relate? My experience working in the Olympics is, is, two different, is in two different ways, well, three different ways. I've been, a, I've been an update anchor for the Olympics, um, which can certainly be chaotic because things are happening up to that moment when you're about to do your one or two minute update. Um, but it, it's so quick and it's, it's you're in, you're out and you've got your sponsor. And by the time all that happens, you've got 40 seconds of copy and that's it. Um, I have also done play-by-play at the Olympics for, for figure skating um, and in some other random events that, that we didn't have someone designated to for that specific uh, venue. Um, but even that, it, it's still just as, uh, you're covering one night's event uh, and, and something specific. And in our role as, as, as the studio host of the nightly show that Laura Oakman and I did in 2018 uh, in, in South Korea, you know, even that, a lot of the stuff is taped because of the time difference uh, that, that, that exists between this part of the world and that part of the world and what would have been the same case in Tokyo and, and will be the same case again in China in 2022 and all of that stuff. So, um, it's 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 controlled totally differently. Uh, it's a totally different control, uh, and the Olympics are are fun and and awesome. And there's a totally different element to upsets and surprises that happen in the Olympics. Um, but the but the the control element and the prep element of that are very different. Without those two big events, we're still waiting. We're waiting for a return of sports that will come. But how will MLB figure out its differences and come back? Is that a fight about money or is it about safety or something else? The same for the NBA on top of the questions we've heard this week. Is it even worth coming back as the battle for racial justice continues? What can we hope for? Hope is an interesting thing um, because, you know, I look at my two kids and how much joy they have and how much joy they look for in other people and how much joy they try to bring to other people, whether they mean to or not. And there is certainly hope there. Um, there is 
there is some massive hope in the fact that you look around the country and these protests are not a single race. These protests are very much multicultural, multiracial, very much across the spectrum in terms of uh, economic aspects of life. Um, Living here in New Jersey, my six and a half year old and I went to a protest uh, here in New Jersey last week and it was an educational experience. I really do believe that that it's not that these are not just words that people are saying, and these are not just names that are going to go in vain of of people who have been murdered um, by police or, like in the case of Ahmad Arbery, by others. That this is actually going to make change, um, and I really do believe that this country, not all of it, obviously, that's an obvious, but enough of this country understands that there must be change because. I mean, think about what just happened this week with the Confederate flag and the and the and I'm gonna put this in air quotes, the controversy over whether or not the Confederate flag should be flown at NASCAR events. And think about what the Confederate flag actually means, right? The Confederate flag that was flown, and this is not a country that existed forever that was just defeated at the end of the Civil War. It was a country that existed for five years. And if you think about other countries where people have seceded from that country, they're looked upon as traitors. And for 150 years in this country, people have tried to hide the, well, the Confederate flag really means Southern hospitality. No, it doesn't. The Confederate flag is a flag that is flown when you are trying to hurt someone else. And it doesn't have to be physically. It could be showing, hey, look, look what this is a reminder of. And we are in a time that that Confederate flag was taken down by NASCAR two days after Bubba Wallace said that something needed to change. That's 48 hours. And that changed however many years the Confederate flag was a part of NASCAR. Um, so I have massive hope that we as a country are, are, in, are understanding that a massive change, not a, min, not, a, not a minor one, this is not a tweak. This is a massive change um, that's happening to this country. And, 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 and I think that there's a lot of that understanding around the country. Um, you know, and I also believe that, I also believe that kids, I think kids are growing up now because they are so connected with the internet and social media and things that I certainly never had. And we had internet when I was in middle school, but like, well, yeah, I guess middle school, um, but not to the level of connectivity that anybody has now, obviously, um, they have such a connection to others around the world and to see what is happening around the country and to look around and be like, Hey, I I know that's not right. I can see that that's not right. And the aspect of inclusion is very different. I think in what I hope this younger generation than it, what it will be or what it has been in my generation, uh, in generations before me. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of reason to have hope there. So I, there, this is not a this is not a spot in the United States where hope is lost. This is this is a, a country that is built on on change. This was a country that was built on people knowing that something that they were living through was not right. They didn't feel it was right and and they they wanted to make change. And I think in a very different way um the United States and the population living in it is going through that right now.
that they know, we know, that what happens a lot in this country is not right. Um, and it doesn't have to just be senseless murder. Uh, and, and I think this country is ready for change and not just stated change, but actual change. It feels that way. And in this time, change comes with finding ways to listen in your own places and your own situations. As Mars said earlier, you can learn a lot from 17 and 18-year-olds when you listen to them. And that's the same generation that Horowitz is talking about as the catalyst for change. They're listening. Thanks for joining us for our 11th episode. Also, a thank you to Jamie Say, Kevin Marr, and Jason Horowitz for their time. This was a WAER Sports Podcast produced by Carl Mogline, along with reporting from Jenna Fink, Gil Gross, and Corey Spector. I'm Cooper Boardman. We'll talk to you next week.